Well, if you haven't been with us, we're in a series in the book of Psalms, and uh, what we've been saying is that Psalms tr train us how to pray. And so if you compare uh, the Psalms to the Lord's Prayer, uh, the Lord's Prayer teaches us what to pray, but the Psalms train us how to pray. And so uh, in the Psalms, you have depicted almost every emotion, almost every condition, almost every experience that you might go through. And the Psalms give us words to help us bring those things before God and be transformed by Him. And so uh, these are crucial. Uh, we are uh, hoping that everybody begins to read the Psalms and is, uh, is uh, transformed by them. And, and so we've looked at various emotions during the series. And so uh, we've looked at how to pray our sorrow, how to pray our praise. We looked at how to pray our guilt and how to pray our discontentment. And this morning we're, we're going to bring out a new condition or a new emotion. And we're going to learn how to pray. We're going to learn how to pray our anger. How do we bring our anger to God? The psalm that we're going to look at this morning is what's called an imprecatory psalm. So say that three times fast. And uh, these imprecatory psalms are psalms of anger. It's where the psalmist is just pouring his anger out to God. And I think these psalms are some of the most important psalms for us to look at right now in our current situation. Uh, what's interesting or actually what's tragic is that um, during uh, the stay-at-home order during COVID-19, uh, domestic abuse has just really gone through the roof. Uh, so many people are acting out in anger during this time. And it's because we're in a time where we're, we're experiencing pressure. And when you're squeezed like a, tooth, a tube of toothpaste, what's on the inside comes out. And for a lot of people, what's coming out is anger. And so it's imperative that we learn how to deal with this. Another reason why it's important for us to look at anger right now is because we're in an election, in an election season. And uh, like probably, I like probably many of you, uh, this is a time where I need to learn how to control my anger. You might be angry at the current, current administration. You might be angry at the Republicans or the Democrats. You will get angry uh, when you see maybe your particular candidate not winning and the other candidate uh, getting ahead. And so it's imperative that we learn how to control our anger so, so that we don't vent it on Facebook or even worse on our loved ones. Another reason why we need to look at anger is because anger has incredible power to do damage. And uh, anger is, it really it's dynamite, it's the dynamite of the soul. And it has, just like dynamite, it has power to pulverize, it has power to do incredible damage. And so uh, one of the things that anger does damage to is your body. Uh, all kinds of research shows that anger is far worse on your body than anxiety and sorrow than any other emotion. It is harder on your heart than extreme physical exertion. Nothing sets you up for heart attacks. Nothing sets you up for heart disease. Nothing rots your bones and disintegrates your body quite like anger. It's bad for your body. Anger also destroys your relationships. Uh, when you get angry, you can explode and words fly like weapons. And you ever notice that, that when you cool down and when you look back at what you've done when, you're get, when, you get, when you got angry, you feel like a fool. And do you want to know why you feel like a fool? Because you were a fool. <laughs> That's the way it works. Uh, anger makes us foolish. It makes us say foolish things. It makes us hurt people that we love. It does damage to your relationships. And, and anger actually does damage to your entire life. If you don't deal with your anger, if you suppress it or ignore it, it doesn't go away, it just grows. 
You need to learn how to deal with it because if you don't deal with it, it will grow and just end up wreaking havoc in all of your life. Uh, here's a letter to a counselor that was in psychology today. And the letter goes like this. Dear counselor, you told the mother of the three-year-old with anger problems to let them him kick the furniture to get the anger out of his system. Well, my brother used to kick the furniture when he got mad. He's 30 years old now. He's still kicking the furniture, what's left of it. But he's also kicking his wife, the kids, and anything else that gets in his way. Last week, he kicked a television out of a second-story window. The window was closed at the time. We need to learn how to deal with our anger because if we don't, it's going to grow and grow and wreak havoc on our lives. But then the question is, how do we deal with our anger? What, do we, what exactly do we do with our experiences of, of this ticking time bomb called anger? I mean, if, we're, if we don't suppress it, if we don't ignore it, what do we do with it? And the answer that these psalms, these wonderful psalms give us is that we need to learn how to pray our anger. You deal with your anger by processing them in God's presence and learning how to pray them to God. And so uh, that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at this psalm, and specifically this psalm uh, teaches us three things about praying our anger. Uh, first of all, it teaches us about the basic goodness of anger. Second of all, it tells us about the dangerous power of anger. And thirdly, it tells us about the healing of anger. As you learn how to pray your anger, you're going to learn about its basic goodness, about the dangerous place that it can take you, though, and then finally about how to heal it. And so uh, let's first look at the basic goodness of anger that we learn about in this psalm. And so uh, first, uh, we need to see that uh, the, the psalmist is anger here, angry here. And what, one of the gifts of the imprecatory psalms or these psalms of anger is that they, they show us that there's an appropriate place where we can vent and express and feel this emotion of anger. Uh, these psalms give us a glimpse into the right kind of anger. And so let's ask the question, what is this man angry about when you look at the psalm? Well, you see that he's, first of all, angry uh, about God's temple being de defamed and destroyed. So in verse 9, he says, Zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on my head. He's angry because the name of God, the temple of God, is being destroyed. God's reputation is being destroyed. And, uh, you know, maybe this is why you feel angry a lot of the times. You know, there are people that take the name of Christian, that uh, don't live in a way that honors Christ, and therefore they uh, bring uh, dishonor on our, our faith, on our Christian, on God himself. And sometimes that can make you angry. Why call yourself a Christian if you're not going to live the way of Jesus? That's a good reason to be angry. Here's another reason why he's angry is it's not only God's uh, name that's being reproached, but also his own reputation is being tarnished. This man has done nothing wrong. Uh, this man, as far as he knows, has done the right thing, and yet there are people that are reproaching him and persecuting him without cause. And this is a good reason to be angry. You haven't done anything wrong, and yet somebody hates you. Uh, you didn't ask for it. You just you you were kind to the person, and they repaid your kindness with cruelty. That's a good reason to be angry. Uh, this man is also angry at the injustice he sees in the world. So it's not only him that's being persecuted, but he says that the poor and needy are being put in prison without a cause. 
He says that later on in the psalm. And so he looks out at the world and he sees the powerless being oppressed. He sees injustice and that makes him angry. It's a good reason to be angry. And then finally he's angry because he's been betrayed. Uh, somebody that he loved, somebody that he trusted has turned against him. And he, and he was wounded deeply by this and because of that, he's angry. So there are times when it's not only appropriate to be angry or acceptable to be angry, there are times when you should be angry. Now, this may surprise you. Some of you grew up in, in Christian homes where it was never okay to be angry. And so you ignored it, you suppressed it. You know, you always had to be nice. You, know, you always have to be nice. Uh, you know, and so uh, you just put the, under, the, the anger under the surface. But what this tells us is that there's actually a time when you should be angry. In Ephesians chapter 6, there's a powerful little verse where it says this, Be ye angry. That's the King James Version. Be ye angry and do not sin. Notice the language there. Uh, it doesn't say, you know, listen, some people are going to get angry, and, and, but if you do, just try to minimize the damage. No, he says, it's an imperative. Be angry. There are times in life when you should express righteous indignation. I think uh, John Chrysostom put it perfectly. Uh, he's an old church father, and listen to what he says. He says, he that is angry without cause sins. But he who is not angry when there is a cause sins. For unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. It fosters negligence and incites not only the wicked, but the good to do wrong. And so he says, there are sometimes, there's sometimes where if you are not angry, you're actually sinning. Right? If, you're, if your son is out there uh, doing drugs and you don't do anything about it, you're not angry enough to do something about it, well, that's sin. Uh, if your marriage is uh, broken and you're just too passive, too indifferent to do anything about it, uh, John Chrysostom would say, you've got to be angry enough to change things. There are some times when you need to be fed up, where, where you say, enough is enough. I am not going to do this anymore. This is not going to happen anymore. This injustice in the world will not stand. I'm going to do something about it. Uh, someone once said that uh, anger actually is a good thing because so often the, the right form of anger is an expression of love. The opposite of love is not anger. Uh, the opposite of love is indifference. And sometimes uh, anger is the appropriate emotion when that which you love is threatened. I love, Becky Pippard is another uh, teacher and she says this, think how we feel when we, someone we, when we see someone we loved ravished ravaged by unwise actions or relationships? Do we respond with benign tolerance as we might towards strangers? Far from it. Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is. And the final form of hate is indifference. And so if you're indifferent, that can be a problem. And, and many times, anger is the appropriate emotion. It's a sign that you're a, per, a person in love. And, and even look at the New Testament. Jesus Christ, whom the New Testament continually says was perfect, was often getting angry. And so he was angry with the religious leaders in Mark 3. He was angry at the tomb of Lazarus, John 11. Um, often the uh, Greek words to describe his emotions are incredibly strong. He bellows with anger. He snorts with anger. And why would he get so angry? Well, it's because Jesus was a man of perfect love. And love is always angry when that which it loves is threatened. 
Anger, at least the right form of anger, is simply love in motion. Maybe you need to be angry today. I mean, when you look at your life, are there things that you should be angry about that you're just too passive about? I read this this week. Um, It said, great leaders often have a strong capacity to experience anger. It wakes them up and makes them pay attention to what is strong in their environment or in themselves. Without anger, they would not have the awareness or the drive to fix what is wrong. And sometimes you're not fixing what is wrong in the world and in your own life because you're just not angry enough. There are times when we need to be like Popeye. You remember Popeye the sailor man? Where whenever he would get mad, you know, olive oil was threatened, you know, and she was in trouble. And he, what would he say? He would say, that's all I can stands. I can't stands no more. Dubious grammar. I know, but he was a sailor man. But when do you need to be like Popeye? And get angry enough to fix what is wrong. These psalms are a gift because they show us that there's actually a right and appropriate and good place to express our anger. But uh, the second thing we learned from the psalm is that it also shows us about the dangerous place that our anger can take us. Yeah, anger can be appropriate. There, there is righteous indignation that you should display in the right moments. But you always need to be careful because the psalm warns us about where even good anger has the capability of taking us. Now notice in the psalm, there is a turning point here. He's been expressing righteous indignation. He's angry for the right reasons. But notice there's a point in the psalm where everything changes. Things begin to dissolve, and his anger starts to look a little toxic. And he starts to pray things that are honestly kind of hard to read. And so uh, beginning in verse 22, uh, notice what he begins to pray. He's angry, but then he starts saying, Lord, let their own table uh, before them become a snare. And when they're at peace, let, them be, let it be a trap to them. He's talking about his enemies here. And then he says, let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see. Make their loins tremble continually. He's saying, Lord, make them blind. I want my enemies to be chronically sick, embarrassingly chronically sick. Then he goes on, may their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. Lord, I wish genocide on them. I, I wish that all of their their families, all of their people, everybody that they love would be gone forever. He says in verse 27, let them experience punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. God, punish them. And don't just punish them. Punish them, punish them and punish them again. I can't get enough punishment for them. And then notice what he says in verse 28. He kind of reaches the lowest level. He says, let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. Now, here's where you know that his anger is going toxic. Because he's actually praying that his enemies would go to hell. He's saying, God, blot their name out of the book of life. God, I don't only want to see them dead. I want to see them damned. I want to see them gone forever. And here you know that his anger has gone wrong. That this anger that started off as righteous indignation has turned into hatred. And this is always the danger with anger. Well, how do you know when your anger's gone toxic? Let me give you a few things that we see in the passage. First of all, uh, you know that your anger's gone bad when you no longer want justice, you want vengeance. This man, when he's praying these things, these uh, 
these uh, wishes, these, these evil uh, wishes upon these, his enemies, uh, he's, he's, not, he's no longer concerned about justice anymore. He's saying, God, I want you to make them suffer. I want vengeance. I, I want them to feel what I felt. And whenever you get to the point where you're laying in bed at night and you're fantasizing about that person that's wronged you, and you start thinking about ways that they could be humiliated and, and, and ways that they might suffer and feel what you have felt, and you start enjoying those thoughts about their come up, comeuppance, and you want to see them experience pain, well, then you know that your anger has turned into hatred. And this is dangerous. You know, you, you know your anger is gone to a bad place when you actually experience pleasure at your enemy's misfortune. You know, uh, when, when you're, you hear that your enemy has lost their job or this person that wronged you has actually gotten sick or gotten cancer or this person that wronged you was embarrassed and shamed and humiliated and it makes you feel good, well, something has gone wrong in your heart. That anger is turned bad. You also know your anger is turning toxic when you no longer are in control of the anger. You know, you, you look at this uh, man and at first he's able to channel the anger. He's able to harness the anger to help him do something about injustice. But now what's happening is his anger has taken hold of him. His, his, he used to harness his anger, and now his, his anger is harnessing his own life. He's no longer in control of it, but his anger has taken control of him. One of the most powerful images in this psalm is it's an image of sinking in quicksand. And the image is, he's saying, I'm up to my neck, and there's nowhere for me to stand, and I'm, it, it's, it, I'm going lower and lower, and, I, and there's nothing I can do. There's nothing for me to grab hold of. I'm sinking down. And he's not just sinking in his troubles. He's sinking in his anger. He's drowning in his anger. His anger has taken control of him. And this is how you know that your anger has gone toxic, toxic where, you know, you, you find yourself, uh, you know, thinking bad thoughts about a person all the time. It's just kind of controlling every area of your life. You think about it when you go to bed at night. You think about it when you're at work. You fantasize about their suffering and taking vengeance about it all the time. And it's beginning to drive you and control you and, and, and even uh, cause you to make certain decisions that you're making in life. This anger is beginning to control him. And you know that anger has gone wrong where it's beginning to control your life. Where you're not only angry at the person anymore, you're just kind of just angry. You know, some of you, you your, your spouse, you caught them cheating on you, and you've been angry ever since, not just at your spouse, but just at life in general. Uh, some of you, you were, uh, you were demoted at work. You were demoted unjustly. Somebody else got the promotion. And you've been angry and snarky and sarcastic, not just at that situation, but at everything. Some of you, you were uh, wronged by a person of a certain gender. Uh, maybe a, a woman has wronged you, and now you just don't, you're not just angry at the woman, you hate all women. Because anger is, anger is beginning to pervade your life and control your life. And this is how you know anger has, has gone wrong. I, met a, I talked to a man a few months ago, and he was a veteran uh, from uh, the, the army, and and he explained to me how he was, he came back from, from the war uh, extremely angry. And he says, there were good reasons for my anger. At first, I was angry at the enemy for what they had done, and I was angry for what I had seen. But when I came home, the anger just began to eat me up, and I started to get angry at my spouse, and angry at my kids, and angry at myself, and then I knew I needed help. 
because it's like I was drowning. And maybe that's where you are this morning. Another, another uh, way you know that anger has taken control of you is that you actually don't want things to change or get better. Uh, you know, you're mad, and you're mad at the person, and you actually, you don't want them to stop, stop committing injustice. You don't want them to stop being a bad person. You want them to stay that way so that you can stay mad. Uh, you see this in the book of Jonah. You remember Jonah was, uh, he didn't want to go to the Ninevites to preach to them because he, he hated them. And he, he wanted them to go uh, and face God's judgment. He didn't want them to repent. And remember that they did repent, and he was angry about it. He was angry because he didn't want them to change. Even though they were doing such evil, he wanted to stay mad. Maybe this is the way you know that anger has taken hold of you. You don't want things to change. You actually are, are quite happy for the person to remain in their evil so that you can stay mad at them. And you got to see that, you know, this, is, this kind of anger it, it, and that turns into hate is so insidious because, uh, you know, the, the, worse, the, the worse that you've been uh, hurt, the, the more injustice that's been done to you, the more reason you have to be mad. But because of that, the more danger you are in of, of turning to hatred because you can justify it and you can stew in it. There's a story of Martin Luther King Jr., uh, that I read, read this past week, and when, it was when he was a teenager, and he talks about kind of being on the precipice between anger and hatred. And he said, uh, there, I was a teenager, and he says, we went to a speech contest with my class, and he said, we did very well. We were on the way home, on the bus, on the way back. He says, I was with my beloved teacher, and uh, at, we made a stop at some point, and he said, a bunch of white people got on the bus, and when the white people got on the bus, all of us blacks were asked to stand up and give the, the whites our seats. And he says, I was angry, I didn't want to get up, and, but the bus driver uh, shamed me and cursed me and told me I had to stand. And so my teacher said, Martin, we need to obey the law. And he said, so we stood for 90 miles all the way back to Atlanta. And Martin Luther King Jr. said, I've never been so angry in my entire life. But he said it was dangerous. Because that, that anger, that same anger, it either would lead me into a nonviolent uh, you know, working for justice, or it would lead me to hatred. And thankfully, it led Martin Luther King Jr. to fight against injustice. But he says, it's like I was standing on the edge of a deep pit. And it was the pit of hatred. And he says, I was tottering on the edge, and this man is tottering on the edge, and maybe some of you are tottering on the edge. And so the question is, how, does this, how do we get healed? How do we make sure that our anger stays the righteous kind and doesn't devolve into hatred? How do we make sure that our, our anger doesn't eat us up and turn toxic in our lives so that it just drives us and destroys our relationships? Well, here, the psalm at the end here gives us some ways that we can be healed from our anger. And please pay attention to this, especially if you struggle with anger. I think there is such wisdom in this uh, psalm of anger to help heal us from uh, the toxic poison that, that it can bring. First, the first step that, that this guy finds in the healing of anger is that he's learning how to, to analyze his anger in God's presence. That, that's what he's doing in the psalm. Uh, he is, he's writing a psalm. He's pouring uh, his heart out, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Everything just comes out before God. He's talking to God about how angry he is, 
Some of it's right, some of it's not, but whatever it is, he's saying, God, I'm laying this out, I am writing this out all before your presence. And when he does that, that gives him an opportunity to analyze it, to take a good hard, hard look at his anger. And like all of us, when we look at this psalm and we see that there's a very stark a contrast where the good anger turns to bad anger, he can look at that too. He's like, wow, I didn't know that was there. As he thinks about his anger in God's presence, he's able to analyze it and see it for what it is. So when you get angry, do you analyze your anger? Do you take it to God or do you just stew, stew with it, stew on it? Uh, you know, a lot of us, we talk to ourselves about how angry we are. We walk around and we're just, whatever we're angry about, we just talk to ourselves about it. And we just roll over in our minds what that person did and how wrong they were and how many reasons we have to hate them and how stupid it was and how evil they are. And we let that go. We just talk to ourselves about how angry we are. It just gets worse when we stew on it. Some of us, we might take our anger and vent it on Facebook, you know, or, or vent it on the ones that we love. But what we need to do is we need to take that anger into God's presence Talk to God about our anger and let, let him shed light on whether it's good, bad, ugly, whatever. There's some good questions you could ask. I mean, one of the things that God asked Jonah when he was angry, he said, Jonah, as Jonah was sitting outside the city just angry at the Ninevites, he says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? What a good question. Is it right for you to be angry? I know that you're angry. Is it right for you to be angry? Uh, is this righteous indignation, or, or are you, is this actually hatred? You know, you got to be honest. You can't say, oh, I'm not angry. I'm, I'm just going to be nice. No, you got to, if, if you're angry, admit it, and then ask yourself, is it right? Another good question that you might ask yourself in God's presence to analyze your anger is, you know, what, what thing that I love is being threatened? You know, anger is love in motion. You're always angry when that which you love is threatened. And so a wonderful question to ask when you're angry is, what do I love so much is being threatened? What big thing that I love so much is being threatened that it's making me so angry? And a lot of times if you ask yourself that question, it might embarrass you because the thing that you love so much that's making you so angry that's being threatened is your own ego. You're mad because your pride is wounded. You know, so often as a parent, you know, I'm angry at my kids and I tell myself, oh, it's because they're misbehaving. But maybe they're misbehaving in the grocery store and I'm just embarrassed. And I'm angry, more I'm out of proportion angry because it's wounded my ego. I'm embarrassed that my kids are not behaving. Right? Or maybe you get angry because, uh, because of money issues. Maybe money, it reveals that you love money more than you should. Because you're always angry. You're always defensive. You're always blowing up uh, around issues of money. Uh, maybe you're angry about, uh, you know, your, your comfort. You know, somebody stands in the way of, of your comfort and you get mad about it. So, so when, you, when you analyze your anger, it shows you what you love the most. Maybe it's a good thing. You're angry because you love your family or you, or you love God or you love justice. Or maybe you just love your ego. But you won't know unless you spend some time pouring that out honestly and opening, uh, open before God's presence. Another thing that I want you to see that this guy does is he, uh, he leaves the vengeance to God. He leaves the vengeance to God. Uh, you know, as, he, as you go through the psalm, I mean, he's, he's praying um, all of these things that he wants to see happen, but notice he's not doing those things. He's not going to say, I'm getting off my knees and I'm going to go do those things. He says, God, uh, I'm putting this into your hands. 
And God, I want you to take vengeance for me. Now, to be sure, he's giving God some suggestions. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, what this man is doing is he's giving his, his um, anger over to God, the wrongs over to God, and saying, God, I want you to think, take vengeance for me. The most natural thing to do when you're wronged is to, is to uh, take revenge, to uh, get somebody back, um, either with, uh, by doing it passive-aggressively or maybe even violently and, uh, you know, some other kind of uh, direct action. You know, we want to defend ourselves and protect ourselves. And we, it's so easy for us to take matters into our own hands and to take vengeance on people. What this man does is he gives the vengeance to God. Romans 12 is a wonderful verse. If you struggle with anger, put this on your refrigerator. Put it somewhere where you can see it a lot. Uh, Romans 12, verse 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance is God's job, not yours. You can defend yourself, you can take vengeance yourself, or you can give it to God. God is the only one who knows everything. He's the only one with perfect judgment and perfect wisdom and who knows exactly what somebody else deserves. And so when you're angry and you're thinking, this person is getting away with it, what you need to do is say, you know, God, I'm giving this to you. You're the judge. Remind yourself that nobody gets away with anything. God who sees with perfect equity will one day make all things right in the end. So if you're a businessman and somebody steals your your car with all of your tools, you might be so mad, go to the police station. But if you see him driving down the road, don't take matters into your own hands. Don't act out in hate. Say, God, you saw everything. And even though this person isn't getting what they deserve in this life, Lord, you know and you see and you will repay. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Leave the vengeance to God. Finally, I want you to take your anger to the cross. Take your anger to the cross. And this is what we see in the psalm here, because this psalm is a, what's called a messianic psalm. Uh, this uh, psalm of anger is, um, is, is a psalm that points us ultimately to the death of Jesus Christ. And when you looked at the psalm, you may have uh, recognized some of these uh, phrases, but some of the phrases in the psalm are found on the lips of Jesus himself. So verse 9, zeal for your house has consumed me. Uh, Jesus quoted that when he was cleansing the temple with a whip, when he was uh, showing righteous indignation. And so this psalm points to Jesus as the one who displays perfect righteous indignation. But it also points to Jesus when he was on the cross. Notice verse 21. He says, they gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine or vinegar to drink. If you know the story of the cross, this is exactly what happened to Jesus. This is a prophetic statement about what was going on with Jesus on the cross. They gave him vinegar to drink. And so when you look at the psalm, you see that Jesus Christ is the only one who uh, was a complete innocent victim. He never did anything wrong. He did nothing to deserve anybody's anger. And yet Jesus Christ, this man of perfect love, this man who never did anybody, anything to hurt anybody else, is betrayed. He's a subject to an unjust trial, and ultimately he's given vinegar to drink, and he's crucified. 
And what did Jesus do on the cross? Instead of uh, taking revenge on his enemies, he did what all of us should do. He looked at his enemies and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So Jesus had every right to get angry. He had every right to hate, but instead of hating, he forgives. And so as you see Jesus suffering on the cross, forgiving his enemies, that's going to change your heart. That's going to begin to heal your heart of its anger. But you not only see this, you see that not only Jesus Christ uh, suffering on the cross for his, and forgiving his enemies, you see another thing here. You see that, that we were actually one of the enemies that he forgave. Because even though, it, as you look historically, it was the Romans who put Jesus on the cross, uh, even though it was the religious Jewish leaders who were um, responsible for turning him over to the Romans, we know as Christians that Jesus Christ hung on that cross for us. It was our sin that put him there. Jesus Christ died for the wrongs that we had done. And so what the cross does, not only does it uh, see, you see Jesus providing an example for us, it humbles us because it says we are guilty of sin. It was because of our sin that Jesus hung there. It was, it was us that Jesus forgave. And that humbles you. Not only does the cross humble you, it also reveals to you how much you are loved. It, Jesus loved us so much that instead of taking vengeance upon us because of our sins, he came into the world and he died on a cross for us. And listen, here's the deal. When, when you are humbled and loved through the cross, when a person is humbled and loved, it is very hard for that person to stay angry. Loved people and humbled people have a certain freedom to, to forgive and to release their anger. And so bring your, your anger to the cross. And so here's the question I want to press on you this morning as we look at this psalm. What are you doing with your anger? I mean, like we said at the beginning, you know, we're at a time where we are being pressed down. There's all kinds of pressure. What's on the inside is squeezed out of us. Maybe that's anger. Uh, there's an election season coming up. A lot, of, a lot of us get angry and frustrated because of that. Many of us have been wounded, and rightfully, we feel angry. The question is, what are you doing with your anger? Don't let it eat you alive. Don't let it rot your bones. Don't let it drive you to hate. Bring that, that anger to God. Pour it out before him. Maybe get a journal and just write out, your anger. Write out who you're angry with. Just put it all out there, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Just lay your anger before God, and then put that anger in God's hands. God, you are the judge. God, you see everything. You are the one who will defend me. I will not take vengeance myself. And then finally, go to the cross. Remind yourself of Jesus. It's very hard to, say, to stay angry when we realize that we are broken, that there, by the grace of God, we could have done the same thing. The cross humbles us and enables us to release our anger. Let's pray together today. Father, we thank you so much for this psalm of um, anger. God, I pray that those of us who, are, who struggle with this would learn from this wonderful psalm. God, that we would not stew on our anger and talk to ourselves about our anger or our friends or go on Facebook or, or anything like that, but that we would take our anger and our rage directly to you. God, that we would learn how to channel that anger 
into um, fighting for injustice, into fixing a broken marriage, into going after a child that's wayward. God, help us to channel our anger in good ways. And Father, I pray that you would heal us of the hate, uh, heal us of the toxic ways that anger has taken hold of our lives. And Lord, lead us in the way everlasting. We pray this in Jesus' name.